It's here in the city. It's here in the city. This is here in the city. This is here in the city. I'm Sarah Harris. I'm Sarah Harris. New message. Truth should be truth. But then it depends on, in the telling, whose truth is it. We're here most Tuesdays, bringing you radio realities from the urban landscape and mapping the city with voices of creative social change in and around Los Angeles. On Pacifica Radio, powered by the people, thanks to the generous support of you, our listeners, the capable crew at KPFK, the innovators of web-based radio at SoundCloud, news you might have missed at newsdesk.org, and the community-funded reporting project, Spot Us. You can find us on the web at here in the city. That's H-E-A-R in the city.org. Good afternoon, KPFK listeners, and to those of you listening to our show on the web. Today is Tuesday, June 28th, 2011. I'm Sarah Harris. Today on Here in the City, we are thinking about two fundamental modes of 19th century transportation in the 21st century context. The bicycle. We already know what cars do to our society. The city, we're tired of, of having our city evolve around, around, uh, around cars and not around people. And the railroad. But first, on Friday, the New York State Senate passed a law allowing same-sex couples to marry in the state of New York. The law, supported by both Republican and Democratic lawmakers, puts New York in line with New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Iowa as the only states where gay couples can legally wed in the U.S. Sunday marked the annual Gay Pride Parade in New York, commemorating the 42-year-old protest of police persecution at the Stonewall Bar in the West Village. And that was New York's senior U.S. Senator Charles Schumer at Sunday's Gay Pride Parade. The Los Angeles Dodgers filed for bankruptcy in Delaware yesterday. Dodgers owner Frank McCourt has acquired $150 million in financing in order to meet this Thursday's payroll deadline and to keep control of the ball club while bankruptcy proceedings are carried out. Major League Baseball plans to challenge Mr. McCourt in court. McCourt would have to negotiate a television rights agreement for the team within 180 days in order to pay off the team's creditors. The first creditor in line, former left fielder Manny Ramirez, who retired in April, rather than having to serve a 100-game suspension for using performance-enhancing drugs. The Dodgers owe Ramirez $21 million. They also owe player Hiroki Kuroda $4.5 million. The city of Los Angeles is in line for $240,000 in back taxes. And Hall of Fame broadcaster Vin Scully is owed $152,000 by the ball team. Ah, Dodger Stadium, once our brand new Shangri-La, our baseball paradise. It's hard to fathom that this beautiful... You are listening to Here in the City.
I'm Sarah Harris. We'll be right back with tales of 19th century transportation in the 21st century. You can hear an archive on our show at Here in the City. That's H-E-A-R in the city dot org. Train a Well, that long black train got my baby and gone. Train, train, coming round, round the bend. Train, train, coming round the bend. Now on to the railroad. James Benning is a longtime figure in Los Angeles experimental film. He's best known for meticulous timing of 10-minute-long shots, the length of an unedited 16-millimeter film reel, and for the striking landscapes of California that he documents. Here in the City Arts Editor, Jesse Lerner, went to see Benning's latest film, titled RR, for Railroad. This past Sunday... Los Angeles Film Forum screened James Benning's 16-millimeter film simply entitled RR, RR as in Railroad. This movie, clocking in at just under two hours, is comprised of 43 static shots of trains moving through expansive landscapes throughout the United States. Each shot starts just before the train comes into view and ends as it leaves the frame. As with his more than 30 previous films, R.R. is formally rigorous, carefully and often beautifully composed. It's also something of a test of endurance, with generous rewards for those who step up to the challenge. The locations and camera positions are carefully chosen, and to beautiful effect. When we see a train passing through the Feather River Canyon, for example, it looks like a wonderfully rendered model. And we see all sorts of trains, mostly freight, but some carrying passengers, speedy and glacial, piggyback trains, container trains, and so on. But beyond their rigor and formal beauty, Benning's films are thoughtfully, though very obliquely, political statements as well. To watch RR is to witness and reflect upon the mechanics of this nation's commerce and infrastructure. Benning directs us, ambiguously and certainly idiosyncratically, to a certain socially informed reading of these trains through a handful of archival audio elements that have been mixed in with the sync sound in post-production. These sound elements range from Woody Guthrie to Karen Carpenter, from the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic as boxcars vanish into the Utah landscape, to Eisenhower's farewell address and Gregory Peck reading from the Book of Revelations. Railroads have, of course, long been intertwined with the cinema, ever since the Lumiere brothers shot the arrival of the train at the station, the first film. 
The two technologies' fundamental connection with time, the parallel movement of the train on its tracks, the strip of film through the projector gate, and this long history of mutual engagements are some of the ways in which the cinema and the railroad have been intimately intertwined. It's worth noting that Benning has stated that this will be the last of his 16mm films. He has since made a couple of forays into digital video, which allow for even longer shots than the 400-foot, 10-minute roll of 16mm film. Regardless of where digital technologies lead him, there is no question that RR is a masterful achievement, worthy of engaging not just train spotters and aficionados of experimental film, but anyone concerned with the North American landscape. For Here in the City, this is Jesse Lerner. I roamed and rambled and I followed my footsteps sparkling sands of her diamond deserts all around me a voice was a sounding this land was made for you and me there was a big high wall there that tried to stop me the sign was painted said private property but on the back side it didn't say nothing this land was made for you and me When the sun comes shining Then I was strolling And the wheat fields waving And the dust clouds rolling A voice was chanting As the fog was lifting This land was made for you and me This land is your land And this land is my land California to the New York Island from Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters this land was made for you and me This is what it is. This is what it's going to be. You are listening to Here in the City on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. 93.7 FM in San Diego. And 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. An archive and a podcast of our shows is at Here in the City. That's H-E-A-R in the city dot org. And at kpfk.org, you can like us on Facebook, if you like, and visit us at our website, hereinthecity.org. And follow us on Twitter. (laughs) 
This is Here in the City. I'm Sarah Harris, and we are here in the studio with Patrick Miller, who is an artist and an educator and active bicyclist, which, as I understand, when you live in the city of Los Angeles, you almost don't have a choice when you ride a bike to be other than active. One of the things about being a cyclist in Los Angeles is that for a lot of people, it's the first time that they ever experience what it's like to sort of be a second-class citizen, to have every right to be on the road according to the letter of the law, but in practice, um, the way people um, use the body language of their cars and um, the way um, the entire infrastructure treats cyclists, it forces people to to kind of look at this dynamic of where something that's supposed to be a right um, is actually subverted by um, driving, which is supposed to be a privilege. Almost two weeks after a collision happened between uh, a group of 30 bicycle riders in Culver City and a woman who was driving her vehicle under the influence of alcohol and 11 of those riders were injured, um, pretty seriously injured. And we're talking to you, Patrick Miller, right now, because after this happened, there was a gathering of cyclists to talk about how to address that situation. And it resulted in a petition in favor of bicycle riders and to try to to gain some ground, uh, specifically in accordance with what we're talking about, which is what are the rights of cyclists on the road? Well, on the one-week anniversary of the collision in uh, Culver City, which um, was of a ride uh, called the the K-Town Ride, um, which organizes and um, uses the the ride... I should probably start over. But the um, I just wanted to clarify, too, that the the K-Town Ride is not... A midnight riders ride, but midnight riders is like a clearinghouse where uh, people advertise and promote rides, and so K Town Ride primarily uses the midnight riders website to promote their ride, but it's different than the midnight riders ride, which is like they have their own ride on the second Friday of the month. I don't know if that's an important distinction, but no, definitely um, it is, and I, I mean I might keep that in there. You correcting me because it's it's important. I mean there yeah. are different communities of cyclists that all intersect and who who had representatives and, and community members present at this meeting at the Eco Village last week. Well, and um, one of the things is, is that the media largely reported that the ride was affiliated with Midnight Riders. And, and I actually had a lot of people come up to me because they know that that I'm interested in Midnight Riders and I volunteered with them before. Um and I wear a Midnight Riders medallion around my neck most days, that uh, they knew that I, you know, would know about it or care about it. But most people had the impression that this was a Midnight Riders ride. Um, but it, it is its like own, own distinct entity. That said, um, the people that do Midnight Riders consider everybody who's a cyclist in, in L.A. a rider and somebody that that we consider, you know, part of our family. And so... Midnight Riders, along with another, with with a bunch of other groups with a vested interest in in safer streets um, for LA, you know, got together at the Eco Village to sort of work on a joint statement, something that we could all get behind, we could all put our names on, something that would would say to um, the police, the media, um, 
and all Angelinos that that we we can't let this stand. We can't let ourselves be you know blamed in addition to being victimized because in this particular instance it's really clear that that the driver was absolutely at fault and a built-in bias towards cars as the primary mode of transportation in LA takes a situation where I think in any other situation the police would look at a drunk driver who was admittingly breaking two laws and tons of witnesses also saw her driving beyond the speed limit so it's pretty well established that she was breaking at least three laws. She was driving under the influence. She was she was texting or driving distracted, and she was also breaking the speed limit. And, you know, when she sent 11 people to the hospital, the LAPD's first response was to blame the victims, or at least to partially blame the victims. So um, it's something that really offended a lot of people, and um, not to mention the fact that, that so many of us are— really heartbroken and and feel very empathetic towards the victims. And we're trying to help them on a lot of levels. But one way we really feel like we can help is to change the way the city perceives cycling and to to really get get justice for them. So you all gathered at the Los Angeles Eco Village last week with how many people? Uh, I think we had about 12 to 15 people in the room. Interestingly, there were two lawyers present, Patrick, that are bicycle lawyers. I've never heard that term before. Can you explain a little bit? The two people uh, in, in question, um, Ross, who's uh, I think his uh, handle on Midnight Riders website is Ross LA. I'm here today because uh, I've been biking for a long time here in LA, and uh, I think it's uh, ready for a change. I think safer streets, I think there's a big movement out there. A lot more people are taking to cycling. You can see more and more people out there every day, really. Um, used to be biking to work, I'd see maybe one or two cyclists uh, the week, actually. But now, you know, there's about five or six people uh, both ways coming and going. And we wave to each other. It's a very friendly uh, scene out there with all these cyclists out there. But I don't want to die. <laughs> I want to make it home to my wife and to my kids. These guys uh, have been really generous with their time in terms of, you know, trying to assist the victims and and just really, um, e- and even us, you know, during the meeting and trying to craft this statement, craft something that that was legally accurate and something that's not going to get us into trouble, making a statement about the driver that, um, you know, that can't come back to haunt us, you know, or whatever. So, you know, saying something that's legal and not libelous, like something based um, in the established facts. Which then brings us to um, Don Ward, who you also talked to. Can you tell us a little bit about who he is and what he has to say? Don, who um, goes by the um, the handle Roadblock, is one of the founders of Midnight Riders, and he basically facilitates the Midnight Riders website. And um, as a victim of a hit and run, I mean, he was he's always been very passionate about, um, you know, helping cyclists that, that have been uh, victims of uh, crimes on the road. But um, he really got further activated when, uh, when he was a victim of uh, a hit and run. He organized, as I understand, a reenactment of this collision uh, two weeks ago on Wednesday in Culver City that demonstrated 
just something about what was happening in that that curve in the road on Jefferson. Well, there was a ton of noise on MidnightRiders.com the, the day after the incident. And one of the things that upset a lot of people was the, the media um, speaking to unidentified LAPD officers basically um, started reporting this story that that the infrastructure might have been partially at fault and that the riders might have been partially at fault and they said that they were standing in the street around a blind curve. A lot of the things that the LAPD initially concluded with, which was the blind curve. So what what Don did um, was he got in his car and put a camera in the passenger seat and drove at the speed limit. Um, and I was actually there for the enactment. There was three of us holding blinkies. Um, and to just prove that it was totally possible for just like every other driver that was on the road that night, the dozens of people that that passed the riders during the about 10 or 15 minutes that they were, were gathering and getting ready to leave, people were able to drive safely around them and that they were visible. Um, and if um, the driver in this incident had been driving the speed limit and paying attention, she, she wouldn't have hit the, the, the cyclist. So out of this meeting came a petition that, by consensus, what is it basically? What's the gist of it? What are the three points that the petition makes? Well, the point of the petition, um, what we narrowed it down to was just these um, simple things that, that everybody could agree on. Things like the fact that the LAPD botched the initial investigation and we want to strongly urge the Culver City Police Department to do a thorough and unbiased investigation and really seek out the facts because we think that when the facts are aired out, it's really going to point towards the fact that the, um, the victims in this, this case are not at fault and, and they do re- you know, deserve justice. So um, let's flash forward then a couple of days uh, where Patrick Miller, you then went to the critical mass ride, which occurs the last Friday of every month. And uh, this one started where? Well, critical mass in Los Angeles traditionally starts at Wilshire Western on the last Friday of the month. The ride meets around 630 and rides at at 730. And once we got the statement together and and got um, all the stakeholders who had participated in the process, um, which was about, like I said, about 15 people, um, all representing various organizations. Um, Once we had gotten everyone to get buy-in on the statement, uh, somebody had the idea that that maybe we should um, amplify our voice by by seeking the signatures of other cyclists, other concerned cyclists who um, would be showing up at the critical mass. So there was about six uh, people with copies of the statement and gathering petitions at the site and and gathered um, dozens, if not uh, hundreds of signatures. And at critical mass this past Friday, there were how many people present, you think? I would say... Between four and six hundred people. It was uh, it's summertime, and that, that always causes the uh, the arc of the ride to go up. So we had a, a pretty nice sized group. It's it's always really hard to tell because um, the entire sort of square at Wilshire Western gets gets filled up with with people, and um, it's it's kind of overwhelming. It's hard to count, but I would say four to six hundred people. 
So let's go on that critical mass ride through Los Angeles with Patrick Miller and uh, four to 600 of his closest friends. This is Here in the City, and we're speaking with Patrick Miller today about biking in Los Angeles and specifically about an incident that happened two weeks ago uh, where 11 cyclists were injured by a drunk driver, admittedly. And we're also just talking about, in the bigger sense, bicycle riding in Los Angeles as an act of faith, as an act of transportation, as an act of community, and also um, as a reality for many people who, that's the way they get around. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's one of the larger cities in the world where bicycling is still sort of an anomaly. And uh, Patrick, the last person that we're going to hear from has something to say about that sort of a bicycle manifesto, correct, if you will? Yeah, um, Big Bike Dan is just one of the the really just great icons of the L.A. cycling scene. And it's one of those things, like on these bike rides, you know, there really is like a lot of young men, um, a lot of young people in general. Um, but it's so diverse. And Big Bike Dan is uh, this cyclist um, who's um, probably in his 50s. And he's just a really passionate cyclist. He's the, it's really how he gets around to do, to do his day-to-day. Bike love, bike advocacy, bikers' rights, you know, everything just to let people know that there's a better way of living. We, need, we already know what cars do to our society. The city, we're tired of, of having our city evolve around, around, uh, around cars and not around people. So I'm here to represent that here on a bike. And we'll have more information about that on our website. And Patrick Miller, where else can people go to find out just about biking in general in Los Angeles and specifically about some of the action that's happening around this case? Well, I would refer people to midnightriders.com, which is a message board where people plan rides and also just discuss the state of cycling in Los Angeles. Bikeside.org or Bikeside LA is a place where um, you definitely can find about like anything that's related to um, bicycle activism and um, organizing. And um, Streets Blog does a pretty good job of, uh, of covering the, the bike scene in L.A. as well. And, of course, the L.A. County Bicycle Coalition uh, does an excellent job of you know, keeping people informed and, and really um, acting as like a really fantastic liaison between uh, government uh, politicians um, and cyclists and and kind of just general stakeholders and trying to get everybody on the same page to make uh, LA a safe and comfortable place to ride a bike and you know get around. Patrick Miller, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and for sharing the audio that you've recorded in this last week of uh, bicycle activism in LA. Thanks so much for paying uh, attention to this really important issue and um, kind of helping people get you know, the real information about about what happened that day and, um, I don't know, keeping people informed and encouraging people to get out there and be an active part of their community. 
And we are just getting our feet wet with our series uh, that will be ongoing here on Here in the City called Two Wheels and a Mic. And that's it for Here in the City today. And I'd like to thank everybody on the show, which by my count are seven people who use a bicycle as their primary mode of transportation. Sit down. here in the city today. Special thanks to Jesse Lerner, Luis Sierra Campos, Tandisizwe Shimurenga, Daniela Gerson, Sabiha Khan, Albert Chacon, Rachel Salmon, Will Coley, Holly Harper, Karen Ness, and to you, our listeners. We will be back next week with more radio realities from the urban landscape. Until then, you can find us on the web at Here in the City, that's H-E-A-R in the city dot org. I'm Sarah Harris. Signing off. To yapping on. When you go in and out, may you have peace and level and safe. Yes. Be safe. Peace. <laughs>